So, uh, welcome everybody. For those of you who are coming to the introduction to meditation class, a series of four lectures, where um, people learn the basics of meditation. Uh, that's being held by Prem. We're just walking out of there, very good man. I would go over there myself, but unfortunately, I have to sit here and teach others. Is that a good reason? Okay. So anyway, uh, over here, uh, this is for the experts. Are you all experts? <laughs> okay, it's good enough. The only real difference is over here we sit for meditation a bit longer, usually about 40, 45 minutes. And I know when I started meditating, I could only meditate for 20 minutes or so, and even that was sometimes long. But little by little you learn, but in those days that was actually sitting on the floor and not on chairs. And it's wonderful these days that, you know, that we've had the, uh, of the obvious realization that to sit on chairs is fine. You don't have to sit on the floor. As long as you can sit calmly, peacefully, so you can have a comfortable position. Once you have a comfortable position, then you can still get into deep meditation. I know that, I know that people can sit very comfortable on chairs for 45 minutes because every now and again I hear them snoring. <laughs> so they must be comfortable. <laughs> but, and also, don't worry so much if you do fall asleep because sometimes people do have very, very busy days and they come and sit here and at least they can be comfortable, they can feel relaxed. And if they feel relaxed and comfortable, that at least means that they can uh, enjoy the benefits of just physical uh, relaxation and later on a mental relaxation as well. There's so many benefits of meditation and of course one of those benefits, I mentioned this last night, is even learning how to sleep properly. I don't mean the posture where you go to sleep but the fact that you can relax your body and don't stress the body with tightness and tension in the muscles. As uh, you will soon find out when I start guiding this meditation at the beginning, I usually begin by asking people to be aware of the muscles in the feet and in the legs and go right through the body to make sure that everything is at ease. And if you keep doing this, of course you learn about how the body feels. And when you learn how the body feels, you also learn how to relax it. It's one of those uh, things about meditation that you learn about your body, become sensitive to the body, and you know how to care for your body. One of the examples, I don't know when I last told this story, I just hope it's not last week, <laughs> but that was the story of one of the monks a long time ago in Perth, who always had a, a bad, a sore back when he was meditating. So he went to see the doctor, and even the doctor gave him a, a scan of his back. Uh, and he announced to this monk, well, I'm f sorry, but you've got this congenital defect in your spine. And it's so bad we can't operate or do anything about it. And you're always going to have pain in your back because the spine is just um, some congenital error in it. And he said, well, I'm a monk. That's like telling a chef not to cook, telling a monk not to meditate. So he said, well, I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do, said the doctor. But this monk uh, found this wonderful method 
where he started to become aware of muscles on either side of his spine. Sort of muscles which you know, each one of us have, but which he learned how to be aware of. And how he became aware of them, for 15 minutes every morning he would take his hand and he would stroke one of those muscles on one side, another 15 minutes from one of the muscles on the other side of his spine, until he could actually feel those muscles without having to touch them. He was just creating that neural connection. And once he became aware of those muscles, the next thing which he was asked to do was learn how to move those muscles. And how do you do that? Trial and error. Once you can become aware of them, then you can know when they move and when they don't move. And that's how he learned how to move them. And once he could move them whenever he wanted, the next thing was now exercise them. So he'd exercise those muscles every morning for about 50 minutes on each side until those muscles became so fit and so strong that they perfectly um, they take over the job of the spine. They compensate for the weakness in the spine so he can meditate, sit on the floor and feel no pain. There was a wonderful little exercise in how when you understand how muscles work, when you're aware of them, and then you can start moving them and exercising them, strengthening them, then his uh, body felt no pain anymore when he meditated. And I always, I was really impressed with that. I was in a book by uh, some um, New Zealand uh, doctor or physiotherapist. It's a very wonderful way of learning when you're aware of your body, how to keep it fit and healthy and how to be able to even strengthen muscles which most people don't even know about. So little by little we learn how to be aware of our body and the body becomes more fit, more healthy and because of that, that's just almost like a byproduct. The main part of the meditation is learning how to have a fit and healthy mind. We all have to do so much work with our mind. One of it is like things we have to do with our mind is learning how to deal with stressful situations in life. And uh, for you, I don't have the stressful in, uh, times of having to uh, do interviews. Although sometimes you notice how many talks which I give. I do three or four talks every week. And some of those talks are big talks, international talks, and many people listening to me. And so, shouldn't that be stressful? People say that's the scariest thing people can do, to actually to give a talk or a presentation. Well, I've been doing this for years. And do I get stressed out giving a talk? Sometimes I don't know what I'm talking about when I begin the talk. And people tell me that they don't know what I'm talking about either when I'm giving a talk. <laughs> but they, st they still keep on listening and they manage to actually to, to learn something or other. At least they're still coming back. It's one of the reasons I can't teach too much in one go, otherwise if I teach everything, you wouldn't come back next week. <laughs> so no, it's... One of the tricks which I found, just when you meditate, you're aware of your mind, how to keep it so that it can give a talk or give a presentation without, without ever feeling any stress. And I think you understand the solution. I found out that when you're enjoying whatever you're doing, you're having fun with it. You're cracking jokes, keeping a light uh, sense of humor when you're giving talks. I notice you cannot have joy 
and fear, tension at the same time. Anxiety and joy cannot coexist. So when I decide to have joy and fun, any anxiety or fear just, just cannot get a foothold in my mind. And I find that's very useful, whatever you're doing in life, even if you're playing some big sports match, make it fun, make it joyful, and then you can't have any fear. And this is one of the reasons why when people are doing exams or something, when your kids are at school, please make it fun. They even got to the point, many of the monks know this, I was a school teacher for one year before I became a monk. It was actually the year before I became a monk was a school teacher. And I had to set exams as well in maths. I think about year nines or something. And when I set a maths exam, I just thought I was a bit of a rebel, even as a school teacher. So I decided to put a joke in the exam paper. <laughs> well, I had to get permission from the, the principal, the headmaster, first of all. And so I wrote out the exam paper and said, can I put a joke in it? And he had a look, he said, okay, go on, why not? It's only year nine, so it wasn't that important. <laughs> and so I remember just putting those, because I had to be the invigilator, the, the teacher sat on the stage making sure no one else um, cheated. When I had the exam paper upside down on everyone's desk, and when it was the right time, I said, now, please turn over the exam paper. The exam starts now. Please read it carefully. And uh, no talking. If you need a, a new pencil, just let us know. We'll give you a new pencil. And you could see just all those students. They were all so <laughs> anxious. You've seen students going into an exam and think, oh, my goodness. It's like almost like the end of the world for them. And then they read each question and they came to the question with the joke on it. And I, <laughs> and I remember just seeing these little students in front of me and they looked at the paper. You could see them, they were just really confused. <laughs> A joke in an exam paper. And they, then they looked up at me, the invigilator, and I had a big smile on my face. <laughs> And so they smiled too, and they giggled and said, oh, be quiet and carry on. <laughs> but what it did, it took away their anxiety. <laughs> they got to know me over the years, so they understood. It took away their anxiety. They knew this exam paper was set by their teacher or friend, and so they did really well. An interesting way of overcoming fear, having some fun. And so that's simple things which you learn. And I mentioned this last night, but it was also the sort of things which you learn from life, which I don't know why more people don't teach you. It was, you know, when I was uh, uh, at, at university, I got, <laughs> I got talked into joining the boat club. And that was really hard work, you know, rowing in an eight on the river. And one time the the coach was on the the, uh, the towpath on his bicycle, just giving us instructions during a race. And he shouted out my name and said, you're making an ugly face. Smile, he shouted at me. And I did that, I smiled instead of making an ugly, it was really hard work. 
And as soon as I smiled and changed my position of my mouth, I had so much more energy. I could pull that awe with more force and it didn't hurt so much. I never expected that at all. But when you are negative to what you're doing, and you could see that with a grimace on the face, that made it harder. When I started smiling, it was so much easier. I think I said that last night, I think. But anyway, this is just little things you learn about the interface between the mind and the body. And if you have a lot of hard work to do, say you're doing some gardening, or it's very, very hot outside like it was today, or is today, then if you can smile, it's not as hot. Try it out when you go home. You can grimace, look at your facial features, and then change them to a smile. And you find it's much easier. So those are little things which we learn uh, from meditation. Even these days I say the most important posture, or part of the posture, you can sit on a chair, you can sit on the floor, I don't care, but the most important part of your posture is your mouth. If you have a smile on the face, that does change the meditation. It makes it easier. Check it out and find out. So these are little things which you learn. And not only that, I always say if you're having some operation, well you can't operation, you're unconscious, but if you're having some procedure at the hospital or whatever, Smiling makes it much easier. The only time it doesn't make it easier is when you go to the dentist. When you go to the dentist, you can't smile because the dentist's got all these instruments inside your mouth. But nevertheless, I think you understand what I mean. Okay, so that's a little introduction. I'm not quite sure what introduction it was, but nevertheless, there it was. So now... Now we can actually start the meditation. Just say again, as I usually have to, anyone coming here for the first time who's coming to the introduction to meditation class, that's being held in the room to my right, under Prem. But right here we're going to sit reasonably still for 45 minutes until 4 o'clock, and then it's question time. And it'd be lovely to have some questions from the audience here as well, because sometimes I feel I'm neglecting you when all the questions come from overseas and the people who actually make the effort to actually come here don't get a say, but please, if you have a question, please keep it until four o'clock and then we can uh, answer them as best we possibly can. But right now, here we go with a guided meditation for 45 minutes. So, first of all, please get your posture right. And the smile as well. I'm just going to put the cushion under my backside. Very good. Uh, 
And sometimes you can use a little bit of imagination when you start meditation. With my eyes closed, hearing the sound of the aircon, I kind of imagine, imagine I'm in this park and the sound of the aircon is like the sound of the wind going through the trees and hear some birds every now and again. Well, it's calm and it's safe. The safety is important, the feeling of safety. There's nothing which can harm you. You're kind of protected here. That means you feel confident with your eyes closed. And it means you don't have to tense up in a gesture of safety. You can let go. You're perfectly okay. Just like many of you came in a car those of you who did come in a car, you've parked it by the side of the road, locked it up, made sure everything is secure, all the windows closed. So it does mean it's safe. And when you know that your vehicle is safe, you can leave it alone without any fear and that's like our body. If we want to go into deep meditation, we have to somehow park our car, our body, make sure it's safe, and then be able to walk away without any care at all, knowing that when the meditation is over, we can come back into our body and everything is fine. The feeling of safety is important. And so to help that, just make sure that your legs are nicely relaxed. If you want to go through the full body sweep, which I just love doing, even though I've done it more times than you've ever done it, probably. I just go through my body, starting with my, even my toes. Good job, because I've got one of the toes was squashed under the, the knee. I'll make sure they're all as comfortable as possible, every toe. Go to the sole of my feet. I, I can feel sensations there. And they're all calm and at ease. And there's something about bodily ease which is, I always find, very delightful. It's a kind of subtle pleasure which many people just pass over, they don't notice it. And go to the tops of my feet. the ankles, 
And each part has a different feeling. But just make sure it's as full of ease as possible. If there's any burden down there, if something needs to be scratched, I will scratch it to begin with. It's weird, but if I scratch it now, it doesn't become itchy later on. It's almost as if it's a gesture of care towards one part of my body. And that's all that part of the body needs, just a gesture. And it's noticed and included. And I go to my lower legs. They're nicely at ease, but I can feel the type of sensation there. It's a bit of a heavy sensation. It's because of the heat. They're warm, they're trying to cool as much as possible. And go to my knees. Always give a special attention to the knees because I notice how painful they can become when you're meditating if you don't look after them. So I give them this beautiful blast of kindness at the beginning of the meditation. I don't know if anything moves at all in my knees when I do this, but it certainly appears like any blockages open up, any tightnesses get loosened, anything which was squashed is now expanded. Just like you know, a bath sponge, you can squash it, but then after a while you can loosen it all up and it becomes light and fluffy. That's the sort of thing I imagine with my knees. I might not be anatomically correct, and nevertheless imagine the sponges which have been squashed, and I imagine them increasing their size, and becoming free and light and easy. And I go up to my thighs. Same thing, muscles which can be so tight and tense, or muscles which you can relax and loosen off. And then to my butt. I feel there's a lot of pressure there as usual. But I know that when I just check out that it's evenly spread and my posture is balanced, then I know that those feelings will soon disappear. They disappear every time, just about. And I go up to my waist. I always fidget that waist at this time because I want to get the spine as comfortable as possible. But when I say comfortable, it's not the sort of comfort where it only lasts for a few seconds. I want the comfort which you can maintain easily, you know, for half an hour, an hour, however long you've got to meditate.
have him made sure the waist feels good and my back is straightened out. Just go inside the body from the bottom of the torso right to the very top. I kind of like this because you get so many different feelings as you sweep your attention up your body. At the bottom of the body is mostly the digestive system which I'm aware of. I want to try and relax that as much as I can. As you go further up to the stomach and the lungs. It's nice you don't need metabolism, it's already declining because of you not really being that active. So your lungs don't need to breathe deeply. It's just like an engine which is just purring rather than running around very fast. It doesn't need to consume so much fuel. As I sweep the attention up through the body, if there's any place which needs some attention, I will pause and stay with that feeling. Just imagine expanding, imagine it healing, imagine it getting very peaceful. As I found a little place in my digestive tract, which was a bit sore, not that much, but I just paused there. And just relax it to the max. And again, because you know how to be aware and you've learnt through trial and error how to relax parts of your body which you can't touch with your fingers inside your body. Already that part which was a bit tight has now got loose feels at ease and free. Go right up my body, past my heart, till I reach the shoulders. When I reach the shoulders, relax them to the max. Another way I relax shoulders is you know, using a little exercise of tightening them up first of all, scrunching them up as much as I can and when they're scrunched up to the max, then letting go, letting them drop. And that makes them go to a place which is far more relaxed than when I started. A little way of relaxing those muscles, using mindfulness and kindness. I go down my arms, Pass the elbows to lower arms, the wrists, and then the hands. When you get to the hands, 
making sure all those fingers are in a good position, a happy position. My hands and arms feel very at ease now. I'm just going to stay there because it's a, a nice feeling. And I'm not afraid of enjoying the benefits of meditative relaxation. So I find out once I notice the delight, the happiness of those states of relaxation, you get more relaxed. So the re relaxation goes really deep. This is not a happiness of excitement. This is happiness of peace. And I go back up to my shoulders and my neck, making sure my head is well balanced on top of the neck. And then lastly, go into the face, making sure that I have got a smile on my face, a, a little one. It gives a sense of pleasure, again, which makes the mind look forward to this moment. It's not quite the right word, look forward to this moment, but it allows it to enjoy it. I realize I've got, I don't know, over half an hour of quiet time left. It's beautiful. I enjoy meditation. So the smile is very easy. And that smile loosens up the features in the rest of the body. and try and be aware of the whole body. If there's any part of it I've missed, I go to it and give it a blast of peace. I imagine peace like a cool breeze on this hot afternoon. This cool breeze which goes to parts of the body, even inside. and brings a sense of ease and comfort. And when my body is so safe, relaxed at ease, it is like parking the car. You know it's perfectly safe, you don't have to worry about it at all. So you can walk away for the rest of the meditation period and enjoy the peace of the mind. How peaceful do you feel now? As I said last week, that sometimes it's great to be able to notice the silence, the emptiness, the peace, 
these are all aspects of the mind where things are missing. Silence is where words are missing. Peace is where activity is missing. And at first it's not perfect silence or perfect peace. There's always much sound you can attend to. There's always many things in this room. But the emptiness, the space in this room, the space between the ceiling and the floor, between people, is always greater. And if you can turn and notice, not the objects, but the things between the objects, the space in which those objects manifest. And you can see how much silence there is, even in noisy places. The thing with silence, silence only exists in this present moment. It's a very fast shortcut to go into this moment, let the past and future go, and let the restless mind calm down in silence. And once there is silence, enough awareness, and the body is still relaxed, then if you want to, you could always try the breath meditation. Being able to notice the breath coming in or going out, whichever one it's doing. But your job is just to notice the breath not to decide to make it go in or stop going in or start going out. Just one of those things inside which is always there. You just notice it naturally. And little by little you find you can see more of your breath from the very beginning of an in-breath to the very end of an in-breath and all in between. The space between the in-breath and the out-breath. You see the whole of the out-breath from beginning to end. Beginning of the out-breath, the end of the out-breath and the space between the out-breath and the in-breath. You see everything. When people go onto their breath too quickly the mindfulness is never strong enough. So they get restless or sloth and torpor. If you watch the breath at the right time, it's easy and quite satisfying. If you are watching the breath, please smile. You'll find it's much easier. I'm going to be quiet now. 
until the close to the end of the meditation and I will speak again and I will also at the end of the meditation ring the gong.
with getting close to the end of the meditation now. Just a couple of minutes to go. How do you feel? What's it like inside and what disappeared? How peaceful were you? Could you notice the joy, the delight of a still mind? your body feel? Sitting here, relaxing. How does your body feel now? three times. Please listen to every sound of the gong and only when the third ringing of the gong starts to fade away, only then open your eyes. Are there any questions from the audience in front of me right now? I know one of the reasons it's hard to get those questions is because you've been calm and peaceful and it takes a while for the brain to get moving again. It's like when you park the car, the engine is cold. Anyway, there's a few questions here just to begin with. The first question is gratitude part of the Noble Eightfold Path? Thank you. I would say it's almost part of the second factor of the Eightfold Path. It's just the right motivation and it's out of things like um, kindness. It's a beautiful way of developing um, kindness is when you're kind to all the things which the world or your friends this day has given to you. 
And that brings a sense of kindness up, which is an important part of the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. Which is one of the, when I was asked, what should I give a talk on, on Friday, that was one of the, the um, suggestions on gratitude. It creates a sort of beautiful inspiration inside your mind. When we're not looking at the faults, you know, in our practice or in our life or in our own body, the sicknesses, we're grateful for the fact that the body can allow you to meditate for 45 minutes. Grateful you have a place where you can meditate. Grateful you have a job or you've got a, a country which will give you some sort of pension. So at least you can actually have enough food to eat and enough place to be safe. And the gratitude takes away the negativity. And when you get rid of the negativity, it's much easier to actually find that smile on your face, which creates the, the joy, which powers the meditation. The next question from Russia. How to make my sitting sessions longer? How to meditate more? As long as you enjoy what you're doing, then of course it's easy to meditate more. First of all, to make sure you've got a comfortable posture. So, you know, if you're getting old, you can sit on chairs. If you are, um, noise disturbs you, try and find a quiet place in your house. Uh, even get um, little earplugs for your ears in case you're disturbed by noise. If you're a senior monk, build a cave in the back. <laughs> so that's really nice. It makes it easy to sit long because it's comfortable there. And when you start to enjoy the meditation, sometimes it's hard to come out of the meditation. It's one thing which I've told all of the monks. If it's some big ceremony, or it is even just things like lunch, if you're having a good meditation, for goodness sake, just carry on meditating. You can have lunch any day, but good meditation, when it happens, just go for it and just enjoy it to the max. And that means that the sessions do get longer, not all the time. You don't do long, long sits because you want to or because you're trying to, as they say, uh, beat your personal best. There's nothing about ego, it's just you feel like you want to sit a long time. And so many people have told me that there are times you're just meditating there and you're perfectly still, peaceful, happy. You really are aware. And when you come out of meditations, you look at the clock and think, the clock must be wrong. It's two or three hours. But it's not because you aim to do that, it just happens, you're peaceful. So marvelous, and you enjoy it to the max becomes natural. Uh, from Eiko in Germany. Dear Ajahn Brahm, when meditation makes me feel dull, lazy and heavy, is it good to continue with it or is it better to do something else? How can I know if meditation is the right thing for me? Usually you may be dull, lazy or the meditation feels heavy because you're trying too hard. If you learn to relax more, yes, sometimes you can feel dull to start off with, but usually the meditation just regenerates the energy. 
little things like not so dwelling in the past, not worrying about the future, not thinking where meditation is going to take me, but where am I not right now? And then you actually learn these wonderful attitudes which create an opportunity for your mind and for your body, again, to heal, regenerate, just like you have your mobile phones, you have to plug them in every now and again, and they have a chance to recharge. That's what meditation feels like, recharging your body and mind. Now, honestly, that after the new year, I was really working overly hard, and I don't mind doing that because I'd already arranged to give myself a 10-day retreat, a personal retreat in my cave, after the new year. And that's what I did, and of course the first day, the first night you're really tired. But just two or three days and your energy starts to come back up. And your meditation starts to get the oomph back again. You're recharging your body and mind. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And it means that I can always just you know, give a huge amount of energy and effort to everybody to serve as much as I can, knowing that if I do really get exhausted, which I did, I can just go back to my cave and relax to the max. And I remember just, I only allowed one person to actually to come and feed me, that was Nicholas in front of you over here, that was his job. I think he enjoyed that a lot. And I think you probably saw me after three or four days, I was just starting to get bright and energized again. So that's, it's the right thing for you, yeah, keep on doing it. But see if you can learn how to, you have tiredness, just don't fight it, be with it, and you soon you find out how to overcome it with kindness. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And you don't really get stressed out, you get stressed out for a couple of days, but then you know what to do with it and just to be able to make peace with it. Uh, one from the United States, Ajahn Brahm, I feel agitated and thus I feel being more unkind to others. I feel it is because of uncertainty and confusion. How can, how can I be more resilient and forgive myself and others? You know how you, it's good to put there, forgive yourself and others. When you find it's not a personal problem, it's just, just what everybody um, experiences from time to time. And when you don't personalize it and own it as a personal problem, you realize this is part of life. Kind, you find you can forgive it. Just like I was saying, if anybody falls asleep when they're meditating, please have a good sleep. If you're snoring, don't worry, don't wake them up if they're sitting next to you and give them a, a nudge in the, in the shoulder to wake them up. Please be kind to them. Let them just have a few minutes or half an hour or whatever of uh, softness, kindness. And then you actually you find that when you feel tired or go to sleep in the meditation hall, they'll do the same for you. They won't be so harsh on you. And so when you can identify with the problems of others, uh, you're not unkind to them. It's like being unkind to yourself. If you say a stupid word, you know other people say stupid words as well. We've all made the same mistake from time to time. It's just that different people are doing the mistake and somebody's receiving it. So that means you don't identify it as a personal problem. And because of that, it means you no need to be cruel to yourself or cruel to others. Now the next question 
Uh, this is someone from Canada and their name over here. I, I just can't pronounce this. Can you pronounce this one? The fifth one. The name? Googly, googly. Googly. That's good enough. Yeah, it's good enough, yeah. Y-G-U-G-U-O-U-G-I-G-U-L-I. Please, I apologize. Yeah. But I can talk. People say, you know, why don't you get an easy name to pronounce? And my name is Bamawangso, which is hard enough. So anyway, have some good fun with that. I shortened that name from Bamawangso to Bram, just out of kindness to people, so it's easier to say. But the problem is that sometimes, uh, because it's not a normal, usual name, I remember going to the Mercedes College, which was a girls' school at the time, and when I went there and gave a talk on Buddhism, it went down very well. But then afterwards, the next day I was in Perth. I'm not quite sure where I was going, what talk I was doing or something. But then a few of the girls, uh, they came past. And they said, oh, you're the, the monk who gave a talk at our school yesterday. And my response was, I'm very pleased you remember me. And they said, oh, we'll never forget you. What a wonderful thing to say, they'll never forget me. How can you ever forget a person called Bra? There were 14 year old schoolgirls <laughs> trying to wind me up. <laughs> and I said, Thank you, I've got another story <laughs> to tell people. Ajahn Brah said, There's an M on the end. <laughs> so, anyway, do you have any advice? Do you have any advice for someone who's fallen away from consistent practice and struggling to reignite that burning passion for the meditative path? Yeah, if you can meditate in a group, they really help. And you talk that everybody has that experience. And I put my hand up too when I was a lay person. That time I was sitting with somebody, it was a French man, that's all I can remember, having a cup of coffee somewhere. And I was telling them, and I used to meditate a lot, but I wasn't meditating that much these days. I said that to them, and it was true. And they said, why? So well, I thought it's not getting anywhere. And that's when he told me, said at the end of every meditation, spend two or three minutes just having a reflection on just what's happened after that half an hour of meditation or 45 minutes of meditation. Do you feel more peaceful? Do you feel more relaxed in your body? And that's where that little piece of advice, which I give every time I teach meditation, that's where that came from. Before I'd meditate and the gong would go and I'd get up and do something else. I would never really spend a few moments to appreciate what it was doing for me. It was doing a huge amount, I just wasn't looking. And after that I found, wow, meditation does work. I know one of my meditation teachers years ago said there's no such thing as a bad meditation. I thought, maybe for you, but for me, <laughs> it's different. He was right. What I thought was a bad meditation, even that was much better than not meditating at all. Even that I could see some really nice results from it. I was more peaceful, more relaxed. So over the years you find out that every one of your meditations, even if you are restless, that you can still get so much benefit out of it.
And those are the just the ordinary meditations. When you have a really good meditation, wow, that just really makes your whole week, or even lifetime. So, uh, falling away from consistent practices, the two things, get a peer group, and number two, just for yourself, just before you open your eyes, just ask yourself, what has this meditation done over the last 15 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes or whatever? Do I feel any different? You always can feel some very clear differences. And if you can't, ask your partner. I don't know how many times those stories of, of like when you do like, when I used to do these Armadale group meditations, and the woman would come up and said, this was on a, was it a, a Tuesday night? You know, he said, I never felt like coming this evening, she would say. This is not just not one woman, it's about three or four said the same thing to me. He said, I never felt like coming tonight, I just had a busy day at work, and made some, you know, the tea or the dinner for my kids. And they said, Mama, are you going to meditation? I said, no, I feel too tired. Mama, you must go to meditation. But I don't feel like it. Mummy, go to meditation. Why, said the kids. Why, said the mother, sorry, to the kids. And the kids replied, because mummy, when you come back from meditation, you are a much nicer mummy. <laughs> Ask your kids. Two kids in front of me now. Is your mummy a nicer mummy when she's meditated? <laughs> The answer, I'm sure, is yes. <laughs> a nicer daddy, too. So, you know, all meditation works. So, any questions, again, from my audience here? Sometimes, if you feel the meditation is really helping you, and then you want to share that with your partner, or with a friend, or with a boss at work, then just you know, go on these retreats, if you can get in that is. And once you can go on these retreats, you know, you find that you know, they see so clearly just the benefit of meditation. Other people can see it really easily. Your friends and your peer group. And then that's the best way to encourage them to go on a retreat. Okay. Very good, okay, so it's uh, 4.15, the time I'm supposed to finish. So now, um, Eddie isn't here today, so <laughs> good old Eddie. Must be too hot for a few people. So nevertheless, we can now pay our respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And then if you need to ask some questions personally, I'll be sitting up here for a little bit longer. Just bow now.